Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This week, LBJ tries to rehabilitate the reputation of President Johnson. If I'm going to make a run in 68, I'm going to need people to like me. Shut the door. How could anybody not like him? Midnight Oil in 1984 saw Peter Garrett try to mix rock and roll with politics. He was out there spruiking the NDP message. And then he'd come in at night and play this cathartic rock show and be in a catatonic state at the end of the night. And then he took out and do it all again. And The Spy Who Dumped Me comes with a spoiler alert in the title. We just want to talk about Drew Thayer. He's your boyfriend, right? Drew Thayer. I'm sorry, what? Hello, I'm Simon Morris. Expectations are a mixed blessing at the movies. You certainly want some idea of what to look forward to when you go in. I mean, imagine the disappointment of an insect fan when the penny drops halfway through Ant-Man and the Wasp. But you don't want to know or feel you know everything. The worst insult you can give any story is surely predictable. What you're looking for is reassuringly familiar with a twist. It's a story about a senator, a bad guy senator at first. Uh, and he's traveling around the country on the country's dime, you know, uh, like that Sununu guy used to. I see, so, sort of a cynical political thriller comedy. Yeah, but it's got a heart uh, in the right spot. Uh-huh. And anyway, he has an accident. An and accident? Be- yeah, and he becomes clairvoyant. It can be a routine plot with an unlikely lead character or a stock character in an unexpected situation. It can show a side of a famous person we've not seen before or a jokey film about a subject normally treated with the utmost respect. I mean, who expected a riotous comedy called The Death of Stalin? I want to make a speech at my father's funeral. Um, but no problem. Technically, yes, but practically. When I said no problem, what I meant was no Problem. Ignore me. This week, three films that play with our expectations one way or another. For instance, what would a film about President Lyndon B. Johnson be most likely to concentrate on? Southern Democrats are going to hate this. Oh, no shit. And when this trumped-up committee inevitably fails to address this country's civil rights problems, well, the rest of the Democrats are going to hate that. Baby boomers are the obvious target audience for a film about a president overshadowed by both his predecessor, the glamorous, doomed John Kennedy, and his successor, the sinister Richard Nixon. And for that generation, Johnson was defined by one thing, the Vietnam War. The war scuppered Johnson's presidency and tarred his reputation forever. But according to a film called LBJ, that's not the whole story by any means or even the most important part of it. If I'm going to make a run in 68, well, I'm going to need people to like me. Shut the door. How could anybody not like him? (laughs) 
Also out this week, a film about one of Australia's most significant bands. The documentary Midnight Oil 1984 claims that was their big year, musically and politically in the case of frontman Peter Garrett. But in fact, for non-Australians, the hits and Garrett's political career didn't really start until rather later. Meanwhile, an old formula, the spy spoof comedy, attempts to cash in on the more recent interest in female-driven films. The Spy Who Dumped Me takes a plot as old as the hills and puts trendy comedians Mila Kunis and Kate McKinnon into it. Why is this happening? I don't know, because you dated a spy. I-5, up here! It's a new It's a flash drive. You have to swallow it before they come back. All right, well, no-one expects a mainstream comedy to break particularly new ground, but an old Hitchcock plot starring a pair of routine BFFs surely adds new meaning to the phrase, me too. But first, the story of America's 36th president, Lyndon Baines Johnson, LBJ. Convention fever grips Los Angeles. The only major threat to Kennedy's hopes is Senate Majority Leader Lyndon Johnson. Delegates are meeting with Kennedy right now. Jack or Bob? Teddy. Christ, this place is infested. LBJ could be seen as another attempt to revive, or at least remember, the golden years of the Kennedy era, when the whole world fell in love with the Camelot of President John F. Kennedy, his loyal brothers Bobby and Teddy, and his impossibly glamorous wife Jackie. And in the background was the hopelessly vulgar vice president, Lyndon Johnson. In a surprising upset, Senator John Kennedy has won the West... Hi, Jack. You mind if I ask you a question, Lyndon? Where the Kennedys were idealised as New England aristocracy, Johnson was sneered at as a Texas redneck, whose only virtue was his political connections in the South. Well, this was far from the case, and no one knew it better than Jack Kennedy when he needed a running mate in the 1960 election. You're out of your damn mind, Jack. All the liberals hate it. We need Southerners. There's no power in the vice presidency. Power is where power goes. Guessing you Kennedys don't do a lot of deer hunting. The fact was, Lyndon Johnson was one of the smartest operators in Washington, and his skills were sorely needed when the Kennedy brothers released the details of their civil rights policies. The world of racial segregation in the South had to end. John Kennedy has been elected President of the United States. I need to show a strong record on civil rights from the start. Maybe they might listen to us. I don't know who's on our side. What makes you think he's on our side? But the Kennedys had neither the numbers to pass any civil rights legislation, nor it seems the ability to raise them. They needed someone who could make it happen, and there was only one man in the administration capable of doing that. Well, that's essentially the story at the heart of LBJ. We've got Martin Luther King writing letters from a jail cell. It's an embarrassment around the world. If you submit this bill now, it will never become law. What are we waiting for? 
Director Rob Reiner is best known for comedy. This is Spinal Tap, The Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally. But he's a safe pair of hands-on drama too, though he's taking a risk with his star in LBJ. Woody Harrelson looks about as unlike Johnson as it's possible to look, apart from being Texan, of course. Well, those Kennedys must really hate you. <laughs> those Harvard boys not going to tell us how to run the state of Georgia. You're going to lose the support of the people who've always had your back. This train is leaving the station. You can hop on it with me and try to slow the damn thing down. But despite the too obvious makeup, Harrelson is surprisingly effective, partly because he's a good actor and partly because he's showing a side of Johnson I've never seen before. Given a job to do by his president, LBJ gets to work, cajoling, flattering, bribing and lying in the same way Abraham Lincoln had done almost a hundred years before. And then came Dallas, 1963. A new leader has emerged. America has a southern president. You don't waste any time, do you, Lyndon? Excuse me? Rather not have it than have it this way. When Kennedy was assassinated, most of America seemed to assume that his idealistic vision of the end of segregation would be over too for the foreseeable future. Certainly Johnson's Bible Belt colleagues welcomed him into his new job as the first ever Southern president. But they didn't know their man. Kennedy is a man of great ideas. Now the country needs a man who can deliver. That's Jennifer Jason Lee in the small but telling role as Johnson's wife, the colourfully named Lady Bird Johnson. All the Johnson family shared the initials LBJ. She knew that Lyndon may seem to have the hide of a rhinoceros, but he was surprisingly sensitive about his lack of Kennedy glamour and charisma. But he also had qualities they'd never have. If you think that I would have any objection to breaking bread with her, then you are a fool. So you're telling me she's your equal? That woman spends more time in this house than anyone except Lady Bird. She is family. I don't know how I miss the resemblance. As president, Johnson found himself under fire from both sides, the arrogant North represented by his rival Bobby Kennedy and the South, people like the unreconstructed Georgia Senator Russell. Look, what I'm talking about here is freedom. I'm talking about the preservation of a certain way of life, a way of life that you and I both grew up with. There's nothing wrong with that. Then why are we whispering? Nice work from Woody Harrelson and another great unsung American actor, Richard Jenkins. LBJ could easily have become an earnest defence of a president unfairly treated by history, but an intelligent script and some good performances lifted above that faint praise. There will be no compromise. This is about making President Kennedy's vision a reality. John F. Kennedy and Martin Luther King may have had the dream, but a dream is all very well. It was the roughneck Texan Vulgarian Johnson who drove it through. And for upending my expectations and prejudices against, it turns out, one of the better presidents of my lifetime, I strongly recommend this film. LBJ all the way, as he used to put it.
This will define your presidency. I can only hope. When I heard they'd made a documentary about popular Aussie band Midnight Oil, mostly set in 1984, I rather looked forward to it. I have fond memories of the lanky Peter Garrett and his band, and seem to remember 1984 as the year I paid them most attention. You know, as you were setting things up, you kept, I kept asking questions. I mean, why are you nailing the drum kit to the floor? And he said, you'll see. You'll see. And I saw, all right. But in fact, my memory played me false. Certainly the oils had been hugely successful as a live attraction in both Australia and New Zealand for some years before 1984. But the big unavoidable hits, Beds Are Burning, Put Down That Weapon and Blue Sky Mine, didn't come out till a couple of years later. However, 1984 was a significant year for Midnight Oil at Home. In the first song, they destroyed it. The ceilings used to drip with condensation. You know, everything was wet from sweat. The audience was wet. On the eve of a new album called Red Sails in the Sunset, Midnight Oil set off on an ambitious tour of Australia with unexpected company, a film crew led by old friend Ray Argyll. Though Argyll didn't realise quite how eventful the tour was going to be. Midnight Oil's new album, Red Sails in the Sunset, is in the shops this week. Their last album has been in the top 100 now for nearly two years. It's very easy now to forget what 1984 was like. Midnight Oil were and are a spiky, rocky guitar band, driven from the back by powerhouse drummer Rob Hurst and at the front by gangling two-metre-tall singer Peter Garrett. In full flight, the shaven-headed Garrett rather resembled Frankenstein's monster on speed, though in fact Midnight Oil were one of the straightest bands on the circuit. Their tipple of choice was usually a nice cup of tea. That fear that uh, we were about to be plunged into a nuclear winter... But if there were no juicy tales of partying backstage, the band regularly kicked up controversy with their politics, particularly those of the motor-mouthed Garrett, who always seemed to have something on his mind. Ordinary Australians have gathered together and formed the Nuclear Disarmament Party. They approached me to stand as a Senate candidate, and I decided that I would accept their offer. We can really hurt them in the only area they care about, their power. Garrett's lyrics tended towards the political finger-wagging anyway, and it came to a head in 1984 when he was asked, and agreed, to be one of the founding members of a new political grouping called the Nuclear Disarmament Party. 1984 was the year when no nukes was at the top of the agenda, there and here. He'd be a good politician if he got into it, I reckon. The twin constraints of the political campaign and the tour, they needed to be kept quite separate. The fledgling NDP took off, particularly among Midnight Oil's young, mostly male audience. And the powers that be started getting nervous. Nukes, after all, weren't just a political issue in Australia. The lucrative uranium industry made it an economic one. Meanwhile, the band was equally concerned about their singer's health. The band was kind of worried at the pace he was going. He was out there spruiking the NDP message. 
And then he'd come in at night and play this cathartic rock show and be in a catatonic state at the end of the night and then he'd get up and do it all again. Perhaps one of the advantages of not being Australian in the case of this film is that the story of Peter Garrett, Midnight Oil in 1984, isn't as familiar here as it probably is at home. I knew that Garrett eventually made it into national politics, but I was a little vague about when and how. We were under attack the whole time. How would we manage having a career with uh, a band? Maybe he was questioning the whole thing about being a musician. And I'd certainly forgotten that Midnight Oil's biggest hits came later when their interests shifted from nuclear issues to the rights of Australia's indigenous people. But it's interesting that it's taken so long for this fascinating historic footage to finally see the light of day. So while the political issues of Australia in 1984 are less gripping to me 30-odd years later, the sight of one of the great Aussie bands on the rise is thoroughly entertaining. No frills, no airs and graces, no gimmicks, no scandals. Just heads down, heart out, drums nailed to the floor, rock and roll. And frankly, that never gets old, does it? Everything in the world could be going wrong, but you'd have this thing, you know, and you really loved it. Once we all get in a room, it's just like like family, just business family to me. When Hollywood is stuck for an idea for a comedy, their default position these days seems to be the spy spoof. Spy, the spy next door, central intelligence, game night. The latest, The Spy Who Dumped Me, attempts to disguise this with a few fashionable extras. The girl-buddy movie thing, the slightly R-rated edge to the comedy, and the inevitable appearance of Saturday Night Live alumna Kate McKinnon. Since I mostly missed Kate's star-making appearances on TV, I've had to rely on her rather irritating performances in films like Ghostbusters and Rough Night to win me over. I concede she's slightly better in The Spy Who Dumped Me, playing a sort of female Zach Galifianakis to Mila Kunis' Bradley Cooper. It's a stick. Do you know how to drive a stick? I'm so sorry. It's an emergency. Oh my God. Do you know how to change a gear? What's a gear? The plot of The Spy Who Dumped Me is that Audrey, Mila Kunis, starts going out with the mysterious Drew until he dumps her by text. Her eccentric best friend Morgan, Kate McKinnon of course, offers support and recommends setting fire to all of Drew's stuff. What are we doing? Are we going to sit in the corner all night? It's your birthday. I'm 30 years old. I wear a Hawaiian shirt to work. My boyfriend dumped me in a text. Let's set a shirt on fire. Burn! Burn! Burn in the fire! But you may or may not be astonished to learn, spoiler alert, that the guy who dumped Audrey is in fact a spy. 
hence the title. Well, next thing, Audrey and Morgan have been bailed up by Drew's rival spies who want to lay their hands on some of Drew's stuff before it gets set fire to. We just want to talk about Drew Thayer. He's your boyfriend, right? Drew is CIA. I'm sorry, what? I know you're a spy. It's a long story, and I'm going to explain everything. It's in your forehead. In particular, what everyone wants is a certain flash drive. The MacGuffins and all these spy spoof movies these days turn out to be flash drives for convenience. So our heroines decide to take off to Europe to deliver it to someone or other, I forget. Some bad people are after me, and now they're after you. If we don't deliver this package to Vienna, a lot of people are going to die. Do you want to die having never been to Europe? Or do you want to go to Europe and die having been to Europe? Why are those my only two options? The plot of every spy spoof, of every spy movie, in fact, follows a time-honoured path. Wherever our heroines go, they're immediately discovered and chased by the bad guys. Actually, these days, the bad guys are as likely as not to be not guys at all, but a glamorous supermodel who splits her time between the catwalk and assassinating shrill Americans. I ask questions. I don't like I'll, I'll tell you anything you want to know. I've never kept a secret in my life. Audrey shaves between her boobs. Morgan flosses with her hair. She has sex dreams about minions. Just the one minion with the one eye. She Googled it on my computer, and now I get a, a lot of weird ads. And call me over-squeamish, but my problem with spy-spoof romps like The Spy Who Dumped Me is invariably connected with the innocent bystander body count at the end of an amusing action sequence. Generally, my rule is, the more dead bodies, the less hilarious, which may be hopelessly old-fashioned, but is often reflected at the box office. In a moment, everyone is going to start shooting. They all want what you've got, and they'll kill each and every one of us until they get it. Oh, my God. And I have to say, the body count and the spy who dumped me is astronomical. This may be down to the lack of experience of writer-director Susanna Fogel, whose background seems to be TV programmes I haven't seen. Vogel focuses the action on the two leads, keeping the plot and the jokes mostly female-centric and pushing the admittedly disposable male co-stars to the back. And she also makes a point of not rocking the comedy boat by adding any unnecessary extras to the formula. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. An international terrorist group is planning a series of assassinations. A lot of innocent people are going to die unless we stop them. Will you trust us to help you? Light it up. The big question in a film like this is often, which one is really the bad guy? And The Spy Who Dumped Me is no exception, as subsidiary characters whiz in and out of the plot, ripping off their disguises and then putting new ones on. Mila Kunis and Kate McKinnon are a serviceable double act, and there are a few good gags along the way. Hello. Hi. Can we go, please? Mr. Yang? We are Yang. We're Mr. Yang, yes. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. We gotta go. And we're on the guests. Are you guys visiting? No, we live here. I'm an Austrian man named Mr. Yang. Go. But I suppose it all comes down to how keen you are on seeing yet another flimsy spy comedy. You'd think these increasingly repetitive films would have worn out their welcome by now. 
Or maybe not. The problem is they're so easy to sell. Innocence on the run, pursued by bad guys. Until someone can find an equally saleable product in ten words or less, we can expect to see more of the same in the foreseeable future. And on that challenge to screenwriters, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series We Were the Lucky Ones with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.